Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Letters to Myself podcast. I hope you've all been having a really great month of March. Today is Sunday, March 26th, as I'm recording this. So it's pretty much the end of the month. And I can't believe, you know, we're in springtime now, even though like it doesn't feel like it yet. It's still cold here. And I don't know, like this month, this this whole year is just flying by. Like I've never felt a year go by so fast. But at the same time, I'm like, maybe it's just because I'm doing a lot more things this year, or I feel like this year is a lot better than previous years. Like I don't I don't know how to explain it, but this year is just good overall. Like the energy is a lot better than previous years. I don't know, maybe it's that. But anyways, um, some news is that my podcast is not now available on Amazon. So, I mean, I'm really happy about it because it means it's accessible to other people who might not be using Spotify or Apple Podcast or um, the other distributors and apps that it's available on. But that's great because it means more people can hopefully discover my podcast, I guess. Um, What else is there? Yeah, let's talk about some books that I've been reading because I have a little bit like some smaller topics that I wanted to talk about and then we'll get into kind of the main topic um, for today. So I've read a couple of books since the last time I had posted. Um, The first one was Carrie Soto is Back by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And I gave it a five out of five. I think it was an amazing book. I literally could not stop reading it. It's basically, it's about tennis. Um, It's about someone basically making a comeback for tennis. Uh, The protagonist is extremely ambitious. She's like cutthroat. You know, she has her flaws, but I love her character so much because I've read so few books where um, like power and ambition is given to like a female character and they still, you know, have that feminine side to them as well. Like there's still room for love in her life and vulnerability. And she kind of learns that as she goes on her journey. But I've just read so few books where like the main focus was like ambition and refining her craft and perfectionism. And obviously she is a flawed character. She's not perfect, but it was just refreshing to read. And just her character development throughout the book was was absolutely beautiful to read about. So yeah, I just, I, I love the book. Um, on the flip side, I read another Taylor Jenkins read book that I absolutely hated. So I honestly think her more recent books I all gave like a five out of five to on Goodreads, like Carrie Soto, The Seven Husbands. I loved uh, Daisy Jones and the Six. I loved Malibu Rising. But her older books that are just kind of your standard romance, I don't like them at all. So I read One True Loves and I literally was barely able to get through it. I just feel like it was not that books are supposed to be realistic. I feel like I said this in last episode, but just the language was very cringy. The characters, again, were very unlikable. I feel like there was no depth to them. It was very surface level. Um, So I gave it a two out of five. (laughs) But it doesn't matter because I still love her writing overall. Um, Some other books that I read was Girl, Woman, Other. And that book is by, it's by Bernardine Evaristo. I also gave it a five out of five. I feel like it was a very beautiful retelling of various different stories. It was mostly centered in London. 
I absolutely loved it. And then another one was The Infinite Plan by Isabella Allende. Of course, I love her writing as usual. It wasn't my favorite book that I've read by her. I think I gave it a four out of five. Uh, all of the other books I've read by her have been consistently like 100%. We give it a 10 out of 10. I'm not going to go into the summary of what the books are about just because I won't, <laughs> it's going to get too long. Um, and then the last one was Race and Class, no, Woman, Race and Class by Angela Davis. I'm getting more into her writing as well because I have previously read one of her other books. I think it was called Freedom is struggle something like that it was one of her more recent books um very interesting ideas in the book it kind of puts a lot of other kind of ideas and theories that I had read about in other novels it kind of puts everything together so I feel like I already had a good understanding and foundation um it's a very very dense book there's a lot of information uh but it was very informative I really do enjoy her writing and her perspectives and then currently I am reading I think because I just found it on sale and I've always wanted to read it. I read like the first 40 pages in an indigo like five, like five years ago. I'm reading The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck by Mark Manson. And I'm also reading The Return by Victoria Hislop, which is, a, is an older book. Like it was released a long time ago, but I'm reading the Greek translation just to practice a little bit. And so far it's like amazing. It's about the Spanish Civil War it's about love and it kind of goes into alternating timelines I do feel like I love books that have alternating timelines that go into the past and have a historic element to them they're always just so good and I'm not even using the right adject adjective they're informative and you learn a lot but they're also very complex there's multiple generations interwoven into the fabric of the story multiple generational or like generational timelines is is a feature that I love because it allows for multiple elements to kind of go on top of each other and especially when you're discussing like a family's evolution I just always feel like I become addicted to those kinds of books so yeah that's that's pretty much everything I've read I'm not gonna get I'm not going to discuss more because we're already way, way too many minutes in. Um, so what else? The other two things that I wanted to talk about are more kind of pop culture. -y, and honestly, I don't want this podcast to be a pop culture podcast because I don't think we should putting, be putting celebrities on a pedestal. I think they are regular people just like us. However, as human beings, of course, it's normal, I guess, like it makes sense why we look up to them sometimes. And of course, I'm not saying I've never looked up to a celebrity, like I literally had, a, like, wasn't obsessed with One Direction when I was younger. So I'm not saying I've never been there. But I also do think that what is currently kind of going on with this whole Haley Selena situation is absolutely ridiculous. Like the amount of people that I have seen who are grown, who are in their 20s, who are grown people, bullying, bullying Haley or bullying Selena, like neither side is right. And I honestly think it's like really embarrassing if you are, a, you know, not a 13 year old and you're actually making commentary on this and you're bullying someone else and you're speculating and you're making theories and you're analyzing. It's like, do you have a life? Like genuinely, do these people have a life or are they so miserable that they need to look into things and 
like write entire paragraphs and get like so into it. it's like it gives them life this drama and it's like it's not even your own drama it's just so immature I've had to block so many people like I feel like every time I go onto Twitter I I see something about it and I'm just like shut up and and the amount of businesses even like like full-on businesses that have come out in support of one or the other I just find that so unprofessional because we don't at the end of the day you don't know the story whatever their business is is their business and again I understand there's some element that you know human beings by nature are curious like I'm curious too I read up on it you know I may have my own personal opinions but like I'm not gonna make commentary on it and start like harassing somebody online and it's it's always the same people that are like oh like stop hate stop bullying mental health this that and then they're making they're literally giving death threats like I'm sorry I I just personally think nobody is right in this situation nobody is completely innocent and you cannot tell about a situation based off of like someone doing eyebrows or like making a TikTok like and reading that deeply into it like it's honestly like giving stalker behavior like stop reading into these things you don't know these people anyways it's just been exhausting like I don't want to see it anymore it's really really annoying I actually I should mute their names on Twitter to be honest I, I don't know why I haven't done that so there's that the second thing I want to talk about is this whole like um exposure of Gwyneth Paltrow who, if you don't know who she is, I mean, she's an actress. Like, I kind of figured out who she was. I feel like, I think she was a love interest in Iron Man. She's, like, she's middle, like, she's not for our generation. So, you know, it's like my mom loves her, you know, because she listens to her wellness tips. But she's not really from, like, a tar targeted towards people my age. So a lot of people might not know who she is. But recently she's been getting a lot of shit because she was on a podcast and she kind of was talking about her diet. And she's always been into wellness. Like she has this podcast called Goop, um, which is about like alternative wellness techniques. Um, she's like a typical almond mom that like eats a couple hundred calories a day and is clearly starving, but promotes all these alternative practices that she does as healthy, as something that should be followed. And again, with this, it's like, if you have a, if your main platform, like now in her career, she's mainly doing her wellness stuff. Like, I don't think she's been acting in anything for a while. This is like her thing now, her wellness. If you're promoting wellness, then maybe you shouldn't be openly telling people that you literally don't eat anything um, and that you're subsisting off of broth like bone broth and stuff because that's not wellness so I do think that it is people have a right to not judge but to discuss critically what she is doing and to let her know that what she's doing is wrong what she's promoting is wrong because she is literally her career is literally wellness focused you know what I mean like that's actually what she's trying to do so we have a right to point out that no, like just eating soup all day and vegetables is not really wellness and like detoxing 24 seven, like that's what your liver's for. Like I, I, I don't, I, I think 
it's very easy to fall into this trap of alternative medicine because people have lost faith in, you know, traditional medicine. And it makes sense. I mean, especially, I mean, we have free healthcare, free with air quotations, free, not really healthcare in Canada. But I, I understand that in the US, like healthcare is not free. It's very inaccessible. The system is kind of in shambles. Like I, I completely understand that. And it's kind of in shambles here where I am as well. Um, so it makes it very easy to kind of turn to an alternative path in order to kind of keep healthy. And these things must be taken with a grain of salt. Alternative medicine must, you have to make sure you're doing your own research and really looking into what these practices are because intermittent fasting is not effective for everybody. First of all, I'll, I'll tell you about a podcast after this that kind of dissects this harmful information and they actually work in the field of science so you can trust them because that's that's like their job like they have gone to school for that with whom i'm going to trust a lot more than somebody who does not have a background in health first of all health or science or research etc so yeah um first of all everybody's different everybody's body is different so be wary of like one size fits all solutions second of all detoxes okay our liver detoxes, our liver, that's what our liver does for us. You don't need to be detoxing 24 seven. So when people are like, when, when she's like, it's important for me and my detox, like, what are you detoxing from? Genuinely? Like, what are you detoxing from? Like, are you a recovering alcoholic? Like, are you like, do you have other health issues that require you to detox? Because if you are a person that eats fairly healthy and is not suffering, you know, with substance abuse, what like what do you have to detox from exactly huh like i you know yeah maybe if i haven't been eating healthy i'll you know drink a couple of shakes or you know for a little bit or i'll try to you know just in general eat a lot healthier that week and and i like drinking juices and smoothies but i'm not going to constantly be in like a state of detox it just doesn't make any sense to me well, you want to be like running to the bathroom 50 times a day? I don't get it. So it, just be very like careful when you see celebrities, again, like painting this image of like wellness and like, and like peace and like being so healthy and, and glowing. You have to research these alternative medicine practices and these like supplements they're talking about and which aren't regulated by the way like a lot of supplements are not regulated so you don't actually know what you're ingesting like there's just so much we don't know so yes i i do things that are not like prescribed by the doctor for me like i take magnesium supplements i take vitamin d every morning my doctor didn't prescribe me that i look into alternative ways of, of being healthy but i'm not going to alter my life unless I actually go in and do research and listen to healthcare professionals talk about it and, and make sure that it's not harmful in any way to me before I go and do something, you know, and maybe I should make like a full episode on this, but, um, I will now give that recommendation. So there's this podcast that I started listening to kind of like when we were in lockdown and was like, they just were just giving information about COVID because I got like was initially a little bit scared um, back when I got COVID, like in 2021. This well was a while back, I think. So this podcast is called Unbiased Science, and they've just taught me so much about how to be skeptical about all these different kinds of things. So it's two hosts, 
one is a public health expert and one is an immunology expert. And they basically just critically look at different things. So like, for example, last week, they made a podcast episode on like, the carnivore diet, like just eating meat. Another one they talked about intermittent fasting. You have to you have to look at it in, in a way and like, because when we eat, and when we don't eat, like, it affects our hormone levels and anything. You don't want to be playing with that. It could really screw you up. Maybe, like, so consult a professional, do your own research before you choose to do this. So I would really recommend listening to that if you do kind of get pulled into not fads, but just non again, non-traditional medicine. And like, in order to have like a holistic health routine, you have to look at it from both ways. And this is why there's nuance in everything. And of course, if something is not going to harm you, then go ahead and do it. But some of these practices can genuinely harm people. I think that's all I'm going to say on this topic because it's it's just, there, there's so much to say about it. The same thing, actually, the, the last thing I'll say about it is like on TikTok, I've seen so much um, about ashwagandha. That's another thing. Um, and about how it's supposed to, like taking the supplement will ease your anxiety, will lower your panic attacks, it'll help you out. So I bought ashwagandha. I went to my healthy planet and I bought it and I took it for like a week and I didn't feel normal. Like it made me feel really weird. So then I delved a little bit deeper and I found out that actually if you take ashwagandha for like prolonged periods of time, it can actually affect your thyroid. It can like, it can throw your thyroid off of whack, like out of, sorry, I didn't say that properly, like out of its balance and that it can actually make you a little bit numb to emotions so it does relieve anxiety, but it also makes you numb. It's like a natural SSRI, like a natural antidepressant. So you have to make sure that these products are right for you before you just go and take them. So I've found personally that magnesium glycinate, which doesn't really pose a health risk if you're a genuinely healthy person, done my research on it. I take it before bed and I sleep well. It's like improve my sleeping habits. Like that's something I know is not going to hurt my system. Same with vitamin D. I'm going to take that even though it's not, it hasn't been prescribed to me every morning because A, I, I put sunscreen on like a freak. I never get any vitamin D from the sun. So I need to take a supplement. Like I, I take it and it doesn't harm my health because taking one drop of vitamin D a day is not going to, is not going to negatively improve my health in any way. And I've done my research and I've also talked to my doctor about it and they said, no, it won't harm you. So it's fine. Things like that. You have to just, again, do your own do your own research. I can't emphasize this enough. And don't listen to celebrities that promote wellness because they are just pushing their agenda onto you. Okay. Anyways, we're already at like 20 minutes just from that conversation. Cause I feel really strongly about that, but that was actually not even the main topic for today. So let's, let's get into what I really wanted to talk about. So a couple of months ago, I read all about love by bell hooks. Um, if you don't know, Bell Hooks is a, has written about the subject of love. She writes about love. She writes about masculinity. And I was introduced to Bell Hooks in one of my courses that I was taking, actually. And back then, I didn't have an appreciation for her because I was just trying to pass the course and dip. But then I started reading her work, making a lot of notes, and realizing that she actually had a lot of important conversations <laughs> A lot of important findings and opinions and perspectives. So I wanted to talk about her All About Love uh, book and kind of just have a general discussion about love, like in general. 
Now, I will say again, I do think she is an amazing scholar. I think that her work is very important. Again, most like this book came out, I think, in the early 2000s or the 90s. So it's written in a very early 2000s perspective. And I do think we've come a long way since then. So a lot of what she's writing, what she was writing about when I was reading the ideas and seeing it from the lens of 20, you know, 2020, 2022 at the time, it felt a little bit dated um, socially. That's, that's just what I think. So I did not disagree, but I had more to add and more questions that came up. But I do see how when it was written, it would have made a lot of sense in that social context because I do feel like we've come a long way. So we'll see that. Um, but it basically brought up this larger issue of the fact that we don't really have a lot of candid, candid discussions about love anymore. And you can see that just from a lot of modern day discussions and, and podcast topics is that, yes, like relationships will be discussed, but we never really talk about love what love is, how to foster it, the different dimensions of love. They are not talked about enough. And I think it has, I think that nowadays, like people are very scared to be vulnerable. They're scared to be open about it. And it's difficult to have that conversation. It's, it's almost like everybody's kind of avoiding it. There's, there's a, like avoidance of it in, in a lot of topics. Um, so she also talks about having this workable definition of love that allows us to understand it better. Um, like, like, so my problem with that was that I think it's difficult to define love because again, when you bring up this, the dimensions of love, like, especially, I don't know if you've seen that in Greek, we have different words for the different kinds of love. Like to me, those are like the different dimensions. You have playful love, you have the love you have for your friends, you have family love, you have true love, you have, um, erotic love. Like there are different dimensions to it. But I think that to have a work, like maybe kids need a workable definition of it, but I do think that it's very difficult to define personally. Um, it goes through, so basically each chapter has like a different discussion about love and then an intersect, intersection of a topic. So for example, one of, it, one of them touches on children, children in love and how the way our parents treat us when we're children, feet, you know, leads into the kind of relationships that we seek as adults. So for example, um, if you were hit as a child or severely punished, when you're an adult, you might seek out relationships that give you this kind of violence. Or you might be more prone to believing that love equals punishment, that when you love someone like, and you did something bad, you deserve to be punished for it. Things like that. And um, I think if you've read What Happened to You by Oprah Winfrey, and it was another trauma scientist, or The Body Keeps the Score, they really go into an in-depth discussion about childhood trauma and how that feeds into adulthood relationships and how we view love. So for sure, that makes a lot of sense. Like, especially because um, when children are abused, they still love their abuser. Like if your parent is beating you, a child will still go back to their abusive parent because they're still dependent on them for survival and they can be soothed by that abusive parent. So if you look at abusive relationships, that that kind of dynamic happens as well. And that's why it's so hard to leave. But there are also like other intersecting elements at play there. Um, it also touches on the idea of honesty. There was a lot of discussion around having honesty as a dimension of love and how um, men and women use deception or lying as a substitution for power within a relationship. And again, so like I have such 
like I, I honestly wish I could have talked talk to her because I have such mixed opinions about this. Like I, I actually wrote in my notes like questions about it. So of course, like people lie, yes. And they have reasons for doing it. And it's not right for sure. Honesty should definitely be an element in a relationship. She basically said that, um, we'll say that men uh, very much yearn for love, but by part participating in the patriarchy, they deny themselves of this longing and that they see honesty as weak and deception is seen as a more of a powerful element um, that because times have changed and, you know, the dynamic is no longer where one person has financial dominion over another person, people will honest, will lead to what she calls emotional terrorism and kind of want to dominate in a different way because they can no longer dominate financially. So this would lead to a lot of emotional manipulation and deception. And then on the other hand, women lie in order, according to the author, to seem needy and incapable of rational thought to get the things that they want, um, especially with things like childbearing or marriage. So this is where I'm saying it's a little bit, to me personally, it just seems a little bit dated because I think that we've got, gotten to a place now where this can be interchangeable. Because how many stories have you heard of like, men being deceptive in order to like get a woman pregnant and and you know what I mean like or like woman being emotionally manipulative manipulative I think it can happen on both ends yes traditionally this might have been you know the norm um and also I do think that there wasn't a discussion of maybe people being uh lying because they fear repercussions from truth-telling so like, for example, when women feel ashamed to tell the truth um, out of fear of being ostracized or having potentially severe consequences. So that's why there's so much nuance to this topic as well, because sometimes you genuinely can't be honest or you have to have a certain level of, of um, being secretive for your own safety. And again, in an abusive context or a manipulative context. But at its core, yes, you need honesty to be in a loving relationship with somebody for sure. Um, I just made an act and also just a note here. This was from back, I think in October when I read it. And I was like, also, it's hard to be honest with yourself when you feel like any choice you make is, is kind of in like informed by, again, the male gaze, like, and pandering to validation from them. Like our choices are made based on social context within the society we live in so it's easy to want to be authentic and tell the truth but what if if we don't know what our truth even is does that make any sense I was more along the lines of trying to say that sometimes you don't even know the truth because all of our choices and our beliefs are based on the society around us but that's like a really complicated I don't I don't know where I was going with that she also talked uh, discusses spirituality and love talking about how so this is like going completely off topic to what I was discussing before but about how new age spirituality is repackaged Abrahamic religion and that a lot of people lose sight of love when they become too fundamentalist in any religion because fundamentalism this is a direct quote fundamentalism in any religion upholds imperialism sexism homophobia etc when you're so founded upon secular conservative ideas, it leaves no room for love, which is at the root of all religions. So again, we see how she kind of moves through the different areas that love can be intersected with.
So in this case, it's uh, religion. Um, my favorite part of the book actually was where she talked about community because I have touched on these topics before about how the nuclear family is a myth and that you need community in order to thrive and have a loving life and that being an isolationist is not healthy at all. Um, I've also talked about this before, but that friendships are, you know, one of the first experiences we have of love, you know, like our friendships, we even back in kindergarten, I loved all my friends. It was the first time I got to experience that outside of a family context. And we can feel how our connections form into love. But a lot of people, when they become adults, they value romance over their close bonds with friends. Um, or we kind of veer away or we, we can even lose friendships because we become so infatuated with this new person in our lives. But she says that if you're if you're in a true love connection with somebody, they will allow you to have other connections and you won't lose sight of the other people in your life. So again, and I totally believe in this is that it's, it's not love. If when you are with your partner, you're isolating them from their family and from their other friendships, it's not healthy and it's not true love. You don't really love a person if you are pulling them away from every, everybody around them, from all of their close connections and making them infatuated with you because that's not healthy and that's not sustainable. I think it's so, well, it's, first of all, it's a classic manipulation tactic. It's very abusive that in, in these kinds of relationships, they will separate the victim in this situation. Um, and turn them away from everybody and, you know, pull them and not allow them to go out with their friends to, to see their mom, their dad, their siblings. It's very manipulative, but also in, in a more, in a less toxic context, this can happen even if it's not an abusive relationship. You know, I've seen it so many times where people get into a relationship and cut off cut themselves off from their friends and never go out and just only see each other and it's like you're working and you're seeing your significant other and you never make time for anybody else anymore and so you lose your connections and then what happens if things go south what happens if the relationship doesn't work out um that's that's not love that is a very big mistake that people make and unfortunately i have seen a lot of videos or podcast discussions with people thinking that it's normal to do that. And it's really not like if, if someone is not allowing you to visit your family, to keep up your relationships with your friends, with your besties, that is, they don't love you. They don't love you because real love would mean you want them to have a community. It's that's the most important thing. And I'll say it. I'll keep saying it. I, I, I keep, I always drive this point into even anybody that asks me about relationship advice or even if someone's younger than me, like that's what you have to know <laughs> is like, don't isolate yourself because that's not healthy. And we're getting kind of to the end of, of the book and my notes on the book, but essentially then again, there's also the, this discussion of people being afraid to love because it's too vulnerable and it's too open or being like, Oh, I don't need love in my life. 
I feel like everybody has gone through this at some point, like whether it was after your first middle school breakup when you were like, I don't want to love anymore. And like you posted like gray and white pictures and like said, don't talk to me or whether it happens later in, in life and you just feel jaded and you're like, you go through this period of just being like, oh, I don't need love. I, I don't need it. I can, I can suffer. I was made to suffer. Like it's, it's, it's like kind of this dramatic and I've fallen prey to this too. I'm not saying I haven't done this, but there is not one person on this earth like who doesn't need love. I'm sorry. Um, and you're just going to hurt yourself in the end because yes, people want power. People want success. I, I want success. Of course I want power within, within like my life goals. Yes. I want financial stability. Yes. I want all of these things. Of course it's normal, but what is the motivation behind that? Like, who is it for? If you're going to work 80 hours a week and you're going to buy this huge house and you're going to be in it by yourself, what is the point? What's the point? If you don't have friends around you, if you don't have family around you, if you don't have, you know, someone to share it with, I think that people lose sight of that and they get so caught up in it. And it, it's just a lose, lose situation. You know, what gives life meaning is love. There's nothing else that gives such a purpose. And yes, you know, things like craving power. I think that's perfectly human as well. I, I, I'm not here to talk about power tropes because that's another discussion. And I love talking about power and I think it's a very interesting topic. Of course, there's other things that motivate us in the moment, you know, like a raise or like being, being affluent or, you know, there's other things that drive us, but at the end of the day, like whatever is behind it is that you want to celebrate with other people. You want to have fun. Like who do you turn to when you when something great happens to you at work, what, what happens to you when, you know, when you get into uh, uh, the university of your choice, you celebrate with the people around you. Like it, it's, it's for connection. It's for, you know, I, I, I don't feel like I'm explaining it well, but love gives life meaning. And the kind of the last chapter of what I wanted to talk about or what the author talks about is death and love. So Bell Hooks said that we have a, a cultural obsession with death that consumes energy that could be redirected as fuel to the art of loving. There's a quote by uh, Matthew Fox who wrote something called Original Blessing. It was in the book that says, Western civilization has preferred love of death to love of life, redemption to creation, sin to ecstasy, and individual introspection to cosmic awareness. We fear living because we are in the midst of death. We fear celebrating too much because we don't want to live. So at the end of the day, it's almost like in our society, we are, we are constant, yearning is the right word for it. We are chasing after love, but we are so scared of it at the same time. We're terrified, me, me included. I'm not saying I'm not included in this. And of course I have people around me that I love so much, you know, that I would do anything for. But at the same time, I, there's also this fear and it's, it's in everybody that I talk to this again, going back to that vulnerability. It's like, we're so scared of, it's like death permeates almost everything that we don't want to live and just celebrate more on that. <laughs> Cause that's another topic too. And that grief is love everlasting. So when someone dies, grief is basically proof that we still love them. It's like love enduring. I think that's just beautiful and very poetic, but the way, the way to remind yourself or how to help yourself love is to remember your own mortality, essentially, because we're not going to live forever. And the people around you will not be here forever. 
So while you're on this planet, you might as well just love. <laughs> that's so, oh my God, that's so like, like inspirational quote at home sons. <laughs> okay, that, that got like really embarrassing. I just mean that we're so terrified of it and we need to just confront it. Like we need to confront love. We really need to confront it and start talking about it. And again, not only in a romantic context, because I swear whenever I talk about love, people automatically assume I'm talking about like, oh, like the partner. Yeah, usually I am. Okay, I'm not going to lie. Like talking about finding love in that context. But like love is a lot of other things too. Love is a lot of other things. So that's pretty much everything that I took away from the book. And I mean, I had more notes, but there's, there's just so many. If you are interested, read the book. I, you won't be disappointed. It was very illuminating. But yeah, that's, that's pretty much all that I wanted to talk about today. So closing thoughts are, I made just a couple of questions or like unanswered opinions. So my closing thoughts on all about love was like, I just made a little bit of commentary or some questions that I still have unanswered. So the first one was, how do you explain what you can't put into words? What if love is both action, feeling and choice? I, that was in response to her talking about having a workable definition of love. And I honestly think that it can't really be defined. Again, how can you draw boundaries around something that is infinite? That was my second point. Because love is infinite. I think everything we believe in, like higher power, you know, whatever we think the universe is, I think it all comes down to love or like the frequency of love or just that feeling you have. And I think it's infinite and you can't really put it in, in a container and make it digestible. Like it's, it's, you'll never fully understand it. It's something we can never fully understand or know or possess all at the same time. So it's, it's easy to make boundaries around relationships, but when it comes to love, it is very difficult to put boundaries around that. Even think about it in terms of when you love someone so much and you feel it just radiating from you, you can't put a boundary around that. It's very difficult to do that. So that was kind of my main question or like takeaway that I still had after reading this. If you have thoughts on it, please share. Like, honestly, I want to hear, there needs to be some way where you can share your thoughts on this if you listen to this. And then it it just bring brings me back to, I, I think that, love can be multiple things at once so there's a lot of talk about love within a psychological context within a political context when i read books by therapists psychologists social workers academics they intellectualize love they intellectualize it right because they're trying to mold it they're trying to mold it and again make it understandable by the reader and fit it into their theories and their discussions. And that makes sense. But if you're looking at it from like an infinite perspective, think about the poetry you read about love. Think about how, how that makes you feel and how can you put that into words? There are countless authors that have done this and I could give so many different examples of words that just continue to emerge in my head of, quotes that I just feel so deeply 
anyways i'm gonna leave it there i think i'm gonna end this podcast episode because i just heard a really weird noise it sounds like someone's drilling outside and i don't know what's going on um but thank you again thank you so much if you listen to this podcast and again all my socials will be linked in the description for the podcast episode you can follow follow me on goodreads if you have goodreads um follow me on tiktok because that's where i'm most active honestly follow me on instagram and that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) thank you so much and i'll (laughs) i always say i'll see you next week um i (laughs) oh my god my brain's not working And I'll be back with another episode.